This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. To preach on the idea of God as our mother. Uh, we just had a great worship time and we're all declaring who God is to us. And I wonder if any of you in that time of declaring who God is declared that God is your mother. Anyone do that? No, I didn't think so. Um, it's unusual. Uh, and I just wanted to upfront acknowledge um, that uh, this might be an unusual topic. Uh, it might, at first glance, seem like, oh no, Johnny's going to preach heresy this morning. This is a problem. Um, hold off the rotten fruit till the end. We'll be okay. Um, but actually, uh, there are a whole bunch of passages we're going to explore in God's Word uh, that describe God as our mother. Um, and so we're going to explore some of those this morning. Um, as Lewis said, Mother's Day can be a bit of a, a complicated day for some of us, for a lot of us. Um, it can be a day tinged with grief and sadness, even as it's a day of celebrating our, mom, our mums and our mothers. Um, and I think, I hope, uh, that what I've got prepared this morning um, will be a comfort as well as a challenge. Um, this morning we're going to be contemplating God's maternal side. God knows what it means to have a mother's heart and all the joys that that brings, but he also knows uh, the heartache and the sadness that can come from that. But anyway, what do we, what do we mean by saying that God has feminine or maternal characteristics. Uh, because, you know, most of the time when we talk about God, we, we talk about God as a he, don't we? Like you read the Bible, all through the Bible, whenever the authors of the Bible talk about God, either they use a name of God, or if they've already just used the name, they use what we call a pronoun. It's an English lesson, grammar lesson for you kids. Uh, a pronoun... And the pronoun is a masculine pronoun. So it's, it's natural to kind of assume, therefore, that God is a man, that God is male. But actually, most theologians, almost all, agree that God doesn't have a sex or a gender. Uh, Jesus said, God is spirit. God is, is beyond our kind of physical understanding of existence. Uh, God exists beyond what we can even comprehend or understand. Uh, and in his nature, he is neither male nor female. He is other. He is God. Um, in Genesis, first chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, it's on the screen there, it says, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. Uh, this is a little mini bit of poetry. These three lines are kind of a, a poetic, it's called a poetic parallel or parallelism. Um, and the idea is that the, the poet is kind of saying the same, exploring the same topic and kind of almost saying the same thing three times, but with little twists and tweaks to explore the different facets. Uh, and unfortunately, in the English translation here, that word them is kind of 
fighting something. The first them on the second line there, in the image of God, he created them, is singular. And then the second them on the last line, male and female, he created them, is plural. Um, which is kind of technical. Um, but it helps to kind of see that the, the poet is taking a little idea and then expanding it and then reshaping it and kind of saying, God has created mankind, singular, in his image. This, this human being is made in the image of God. And then the twist, male and female, he created them. There's two types of creatures that make up this one image of God, the male type and the female type. Um, and actually, uh, I guess what that's getting at is this idea that it isn't just men who are in the image of God, as if God is a man making men in his image, and then he kind of makes this other thing called a woman. But actually, that God is other and has made both the male and the female co-equally in his image. God is not just masculine, even if we traditionally call him he. God has this feminine aspect, and we can see it outworked in every woman you know, made in his image. Um, now, this might strike you if you've never heard this kind of idea before, as some weird feminist thing that got invented 10 years ago. But actually, um, I, I was looking at, uh, I've, I've done a lot of reading for this message, um, and there are plenty of feminist theologians who've thought of some really interesting and amazing things, um, and I've, I've read quite a few of them the last few weeks working on this. Um, I don't agree with everything they say, but it makes you think. Um, I've also read some very ancient Theologians. I had a quote in an earlier version of my sermon that got cut um, that was from uh, a theologian from like 400 AD. Uh, it was really complicated language, so I, I thought I won't confuse you with that. Uh, but this is a really ancient idea. Even the Roman Catholic Church, which you probably wouldn't describe as feminists, uh, even they, in their official catechistic statements of beliefs, catechism number, what is that, 239, says God transcends the human distinction between the sexes. He is neither man nor woman. He is God. Um, we're not Roman Catholic, but I feel like that sums it up really well. Um, that is uh, the basis of what we're kind of going to dig into this morning. Um, so, we're going to be looking at five passages. At Bible College, they told me to do three points in a sermon, so I'm doing five. Um, five passages that describe God with feminine imagery. In fact, all five of these, not just feminine, but maternal, because it's Mother's Day, right? Um, and this is just a sample. Uh, I had to cull a longer list um, down to these five, and I didn't want to cull any further. Um, these five passages, I hope, will help us to go deeper in our knowledge of God, to contemplate the, the character of God, uh, perhaps in a way that we don't do often enough, uh, to think about some aspects of who God is um, that are reminiscent of our mums and of motherhood. So let's get into them. 
This is the first one. Uh, this is Psalm 131. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. Um, I could have picked at least five psalms. Uh, I've just picked this one. This is actually one of my favorite psalms uh, in the whole book of psalms. And embedded in this, this is the whole psalm, by the way. This is not an excerpt. This is it. It's a very short psalm, but it's beautiful, isn't it? It's kind of this quiet contemplation of God and, and this sort of desire from the psalmist to just sit and be in the presence of God. I don't know about you, I have two little boys who very recently were little babies you know that look that a baby gets on their face when they've just had a good feed? That look, that is what it feels like to put your hope in God. It means giving up, knowing and controlling everything. That's what the psalmist says. I kind of picture a, a little tiny baby kind of nestled in to that little space between their mother's neck and shoulder, eyes closed, intent, quiet, calm. I wonder how you feel as you contemplate that. I can see a few mothers with newborns sitting here this morning. Or nodding at me, saying, I know that look. I love that feeling. Do you know that feeling with God? Next, Isaiah 46, verses 3 and 4. Listen to me. O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age, I am he, and to gray hairs I will carry you. I have made, and I will bear, I will carry, and will save. It's another beautiful passage. Um, I've actually got three passages from Isaiah. Isaiah was really, uh, seemed really into this whole image of God as a mother thing. Um, so I've picked out three, um, and this is the first. This is a picture of God as, as the, the mother carrying. Um, and that word carry, just like in English, um, in Hebrew, that, that word was the word used to talk about being pregnant, to, to carry a baby in the womb. And so you've got this kind of poetic imagery of, of God carrying 
people of Israel, like a mother carrying her baby in the womb uh, and then carrying the baby in her arms. And then kind of the, the poetic pivot there in the middle where he sort of strangely says, even to your old age, I am he, and to gray hairs I will carry you. God doesn't stop carrying us when we're no longer a baby. He carries us even when we have gray hairs. He made you. He bore you. He will carry you all the days of your life. And ultimately, he will save you. That's the God we know. Isaiah 49, 15. A couple of chapters later, uh, picks up on this imagery again and asks, God asks, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. It's a powerful promise. God is the best mother, better than any human mother. We often say that about God as a father, don't we? That, that God is the kind of archetypal father, and that even if your father hasn't done a good job, you can know the love of God as your father. Well, the same goes for motherhood. Unfailing in love and compassion. Uh, we, this kind of hyperbole might not be familiar to you. Uh, a lot of the Bible, both in the Hebrew and the Greek, use this idea of, of a, um, a metaphor that is kind of a this but not but also more. <laughs> it's kind of unfamiliar in English. Um, but it's this idea that it would be unbelievable for a mother to forget her own baby, even as she breastfeeds. Like, crazy. And yet, God's unfailing love is even greater than hers for her baby. That, that's, that's what this is saying. I wonder if you know that in your heart, about your God. A God of unfailing love and compassion. God with the greatest love on earth. So the, the words, the prophecies, the words of God in Isaiah build and build and build to this climax here in chapter 66 um, with these amazing words I've skipped over a whole bunch. It's a big book, book of Isaiah. Um, and this is kind of the coming into land moment. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. And you shall nurse, you shall be carried upon her hip, and bounced upon her knees. 
as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. The context of this passage uh, is that Isaiah has just been prophesying, or God has been speaking through the prophet Isaiah for chapter after chapter about how there is a judgment coming upon them and that God is going to send his people away from Jerusalem, from the promised land that they've lived in for centuries, and they're going to be sent far away to Babylon. And then this moment is kind of the the conclusion of the matter. God's saying, the exile will not be forever. I will bring you back to Jerusalem. And so the picture at first is Jerusalem as a mother. Jerusalem is, is this she at the start there. I will extend peace to her, Jerusalem, like a river. The glory of the nations, like an overflowing stream. And you, you people who are going to go into exile, you'll come back and you'll nurse and be carried upon her hip and bounced upon her knees. Uh, but then, God does this little twist. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. The twist is that the city isn't doing anything. It's an inanimate object. It's a bunch of buildings with walls around it. It's God who is the true mother. God, the mother who comforts. Which means it is God who nurses. It is God who carries them upon his hip and bounces them on his knee. God, the nurturing, comforting mother of his children. How do you feel as you hear that, as you think about that? Do you feel like you can connect with that picture? Are you that baby nursing and being carried on your mother's hip and bounced on her knee? I don't know about you, uh, but in the last few weeks as I've been thinking about these things, I've kind of had these moments where I go, strange. It feels a bit uncomfortable almost. I actually think that God's intention with Isaiah in the context of this passage was for it to almost be like a a shock to the system. That you've just had chapter after chapter, which we couldn't read this morning, Chapter after chapter of words and poetic images of God's justice, of God's judgment on his people, of these warnings about this calamity that is coming. And in the midst of that, here in chapter 66, he flips the script. It comes as a shock to realize that in the end, God will extend peace like a river and that he will comfort them intimately as a mother comforting a baby. Judgment is not the final word. The final word is peace. And the same is true for us through Jesus in an even bigger, more cosmic 
sense. That story in Isaiah becomes our story in him. That we find ourselves adrift, cut off from God, and the warning is there. You are headed for destruction. But the final word is peace. Which brings us to Jesus in Matthew 23, 37, where he does exactly what I'm describing. He has just, before I read this, I'll give you a tiny bit of context. He's just spent a whole chapter proclaiming these these judgments, these woes upon the city of Jerusalem, and particularly upon the city's leaders, the religious leaders. He's been announcing this judgment about their hypocrisy and about their injustice and about their hunger for power and control over others. And he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Even in the midst of announcing judgment, Jesus is heartbroken. Heartbroken for the ones who are going to be judged. He longs for them. He cares for them. He is like a mother hen caring for her chicks, wanting to protect them, wanting them to gather under under her wings. That is the same heart that we've seen in these Old Testament prophecies. The heart of God in Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. He longs to gather his children together. But they are unwilling. So that's the challenge this morning. Are you willing or are you unwilling? It takes humility to acknowledge God for who he is in every way. Uh, We were singing earlier about how great our God is. And to acknowledge his power and his majesty and his authority and his sovereignty requires a humility to say, God is huge and I am tiny and I submit. But there's this other kind of humility here in these passages. A humility to see God as your mother means the humility to see yourself as a child, even as a helpless baby, helpless and completely dependent on God, desperate for God, desperate for his nurturing and his comforting and his protection compassion. God wants us to know, even if it makes us uncomfortable, that we need to be carried by Him. That we need to be fed by Him, like a baby is fed by their mother. The chicks, who were the religious leaders in Jesus' day, The baby chicks were unwilling to be gathered under the wings of 
their mother had. Why? Because they were proud. Because they were self-important. Because they wanted power and control over their own destiny and, and even over those who they had assumed a mantle over. And Jesus is saying, woe to you. Woe to you. Oh, how I long for you. He wants them and he wants us to have a childlike faith. To trust him implicitly and love him completely like a child loves a mother. I want us to take a minute now, a moment of contemplation. It's been quite a contemplative message this morning. Uh, Let's just spend a moment sitting quietly and contemplating the love of God. Sit quietly in His loving arms, held close beside you. He loves you unconditionally. He treasures and adores you. He cares for you. He has compassion on you. Do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30am and 5pm or on our website at www.nvbc.info.